Today we are finishing our study of the seven churches of Revelation. You know, reading these, these, uh, these letters in Revelations chapter 2 and 3 are almost like intercepting someone else's mail. Only that as you read it, you begin to realize that it's talking about you too. So we see a lot about ourselves in these letters, and Jesus certainly has something to say to each of us. In the letters we've looked at so far, Jesus has called out these churches for being careless and their relationship with Him, for basically exchanging their love for Him for their love for the world and, and their own comfort. He's criticized them for compromising with worldly values and priorities, for becoming morally and spiritually corrupt, and being weak in their witness. In two of these seven churches, Jesus had nothing but positive things to say. He had no criticisms for two of them, but congratulated them for their courage and their faithfulness as they stood for the truth and they exalted His name despite the persecutions that they were facing. And finally, we come to this last church. Jesus is writing a letter to the church in Laodicea. It's an apathetic church. It's a church to which Jesus has, you know, unlike those two churches where he had no complaints, this is a church for which Jesus had no compliments. He only had rebuke for this church. So let's dive right in and see what Jesus may want to say to us about our church as we look at this. So the church of Laodicea, beginning in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus begins, as he does with each of these letters, by outlining some characteristics of himself. And we see three here. The first, Jesus calls himself the Amen. Now, you might... I don't know if you've ever even wondered what the word amen means. Right? I mean, we say it when we're finished praying, right? So it must mean, okay, God, it's been nice talking to you. I'll see you later. Is that what amen means? No. The word amen actually literally means, may it be as I've said. It's a, it's a statement of truthfulness. It's a statement of certainty. So for Jesus to be the amen, He is the truth. His word and His judgments are certain. That's what He means by that. Now, Jesus further emphasizes this characteristic by then calling Himself, secondly, the faithful and true witness. He is the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Again, this means that Jesus' testimony is completely true and accurate. 
Jesus doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth incarnate. And so whatever His assessment of these churches, we should treat as factual. We should listen up when Jesus says something to us. And finally, He says that He is the ruler of God's creation. Now this points back to our New Testament reading, what, uh, what Kelly read for us in Colossians chapter 1, and what John wrote about Jesus in, Re- in Revelation 1.5 when Jesus is called the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So Jesus, God in human flesh, lived a sinless life, so He alone is able to truly separate lukewarm churches from those that are really committed to Him. He alone can judge our hearts, and His judgment is always 100% true and accurate. Now, we contrast Jesus, the true and faithful witness, with the Laodicean church, who was wavering and lacking in their faith. They were, they were apathetic. They were half-hearted. You know, they were sort of like a C student. They were too smart to fail, but they didn't care enough to try their best and get the A. They were just content to be average. And so Jesus didn't have a single positive thing to say about this church, only rebukes. In fact, He had three rebukes. And, And we need to take heed and make sure that Jesus can't say the same thing about us that He could say about Laodicea. So let's look at those three criticisms. The first criticism is that they had lost their vigor. They had lost their vigor. Let's look back at verses 15 and 16. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Did you know that every Christian and every church has a spiritual temperature? We either have hearts that are on fire for God... Hearts that, are, that have grown cold or hearts that are lukewarm. And Jesus criticized these believers for allowing their heart to grow lukewarm. How many of you all like to drink coffee in here? Any coffee drinkers? I like to drink coffee. In fact, I don't drink coffee to wake up in the morning. I wake up in the morning to drink coffee. That's how much I love drinking coffee. And I have, Julia's like, amen, that's true. You know, I'll have a couple of cups at home, and I'll get over here, I'll have a couple of cups here. So I, I, like, uh, I like my coffee. Now, I like my coffee piping hot. I mean, I want it almost scalding my tongue. That's how hot I like my coffee. Anybody here like to drink iced coffees? You like your coffee like really cold, frappuccino kind of stuff? Right? There are a few weirdos like that, um, like their coffee cold. I like mine piping hot. But you know what nobody likes? Nobody likes coffee, whether you like it cold or hot. Nobody likes coffee that's been sitting around for an hour on your desk. Right? Have you ever done that? Have you ever reached out there and grabbed that cup of coffee and took, took it? And you're like, oh, that's just nasty. It's awful. Nobody likes that. Coffee is amazing when it's fresh and hot or ice cold. But it's disgusting. It's revolting when it's just been sitting around at room temperature for a while. And that's what Jesus is saying here about this church. They're, they're disgusting. They're revolting because they're lukewarm. Or it's like when I, when I do a baptism. And you can ask Frank Wills about this. When I do a baptism, and he helps me out a lot back there, I like that, Baptist, that baptism of water a good 95 to 98 degrees. It's just comfortably warm. It's great. When it's anything less than that, what is it, Frank? Tepid. Tepid. Yes, that's the word I use. 
It's tepid. And nobody likes tepid bath water, do they? Or tepid baptism water, do you? No. You like water that's, you know, that, that, that refreshing cold splash of water on your face in the morning to wake you up, or that nice, soothing, hot bath that you relax in. But nobody likes coffee that's room temperature, and nobody likes bath water or baptism water that's tepid because it's dull. It's lifeless. It's powerless. It's not enjoyable. It doesn't make a difference. It's pointless. Now, this image was especially impactful for the church in Laodicea because on one side of Laodicea was the, was the city of Colossae. And Colossae had, was famous for their ice-cold spring water. They had ice-cold spring water. It was so refreshing. It was so delicious. But then on the other side was Hierapolis. Hierapolis was famous for their hot springs. And so people would go there and they would soak in those hot springs for healing and rejuvenation. And, and it was just wonderful. Now, Laodicea, in between the two of them, had no natural water source of their own. Their water had to be piped in from either Colossae or from Hierapolis via aqueduct. And as you can imagine, whichever direction it came from, by the time it reached Laodicea, it was... Tepid. Yeah, there you go. It's a great word. I heard that. Tepid. It was tepid. It was lukewarm. And so, if you wanted to drink it in Laodicea, you had to cool it off somehow, so it would be good. If you wanted to bathe in it, you had to heat it up. On its own, it was useless. And that's how the church in Laodicea was. Lukewarm and useless in their faith. Neither refreshing nor healing. And just like I might spit out that coffee that's gone cold, Jesus said, I'm going to spit you out. He's going to reject their lukewarm faith for being self-righteous, self-absorbed, and self-sufficient. Now, what about us? Are we lukewarm in our faith? You know, a lukewarm Christian or a lukewarm church is one that's comfortable, complacent, isn't facing the reality of their need, I mean, if a church was cold, at least you'd feel it, right? You feel it when it's cold. But a church that's lukewarm, they're just complacent. They don't care. They're just cruising along, accepting the status quo. And nobody's attracted to a lukewarm church. Why do you think so many denominations and churches are declining in America today? It's because they've lost their power. They've lost their distinctiveness. They've tried to appeal to the world so much that there's virtually no difference between them and the world. You can't ride the fence and be an effective witness. And why does a church exist if it isn't willing to call sin, sin, and point out to people their need for a Savior? Why do we need the cross of Christ if you're okay and I'm okay and we all just need to get along? Churches like this have become lukewarm and no one is interested in what they have to say because what's the point? So I ask you, how would you rate your spiritual temperature between cold, lukewarm, or hot? What's your spiritual temperature? What do you think is our church's spiritual temperature? I hope that you'll consider that question today. Jesus then goes on to give us insight in how a church becomes lukewarm. This next criticism shows us how a church loses its vigor. It's because they've already lost their values. 
They've already lost their values. Look at these next uh, couple of verses. Verse 17, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you today to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Now, if you look back, maybe even on the same page, you don't have to turn a page in your Bible, look back at chapter 2, verse 9. A few of you had to turn pages. Jesus is speaking to the church in Smyrna. Now, the church in Smyrna was one of those only two churches that Jesus had no criticism for. He only had positive things to say. Look what he says in verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. See, the church in Smyrna, they thought they were poor, but Jesus had to point out that in reality they were spiritually rich. But for Laodicea, of which Jesus had no compliment, It's the opposite. They boasted about their wealth. And Jesus said, actually, you're in the worst levels of spiritual poverty. Now, it was actually due to their material wealth that they had become so spiritually bankrupt. They had become so comfortable in their own abundance and their own ministry successes that they started to measure things by human standards rather than heavenly standards. They had become self-sufficient instead of depending on the Spirit of God. They had thought that they had everything they needed. They had figured out the formula for ministry success. See, they lived in a wealthy city with a booming economy. And some of that spirit of worldly success had crept into the church and twisted their values. So it was a church that was proud of their beautiful buildings and their large budget. They would proudly show you the latest annual report with all the impressive statistics. But Jesus told them what He really thought about them. That they weren't so high and mighty after all. The estimation of the amen, the faithful and true witness, was that they were wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Who are we really dependent on as Christians. Who are you really dependent on? Who are we really dependent on as a church? Ourselves? Our programs? Our wealth? Or are we actually dependent on God? See, we have to make sure that we don't allow ministry success and material blessings to lure us to sleep. The Laodicean church, they simply had a faulty scorecard for what success looked like. For them, their scorecard was buildings, budgets, and bodies in the pew. But this is just stubble that burns away. Not not, not that buildings and budgets and bodies in the pew can't be helpful, you know, uh, uh, data to, to think about, but they're not the goal. They're tools to help us to achieve the goal. They're not what we're trying to refine and get to in the end. They're the stubble that eventually burns away. Look at verse 18 again. He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Jesus is offering them a different goal. He compares it to riches and to robes that He provides. Things that have already been refined. Things that have already been purified. Think of it as a new scorecard by which we as a church should measure our success. And what does that new scorecard have on it? 
What questions like this? What kind of disciple am I becoming? What kind of follower of Jesus am I? Are we marked by consistent expressions of spiritual fruit? Are we bringing more people into God's kingdom, not just our church doors? Are we making disciples that are learning to think and act and be more like Jesus? That's the scorecard. Those are the real measures of kingdom success and wealth. Those should be the kind of things that we celebrate. Now here at the end of this month, when your revitalization team presents our proposed strategy, we're going to lay out a new scorecard for our church. Measures for ministry success based on the biblical characteristics of what a disciple of Jesus should look like. Our team really wrestled with the question, what kinds of disciples does Jesus want us to make for Him? That's our scorecard. We're also going to present eight core values that are meant to guide everything we do as a church, to make sure that we do ministry from a heavenly perspective, embracing the ethics and values of God's kingdom, not the world's way of achieving success. And these missional motives and measures are hopefully going to help us avoid becoming like this church of Laodicea, like so many churches who are so preoccupied with building their own little kingdoms that God's kingdom and His priority for reaching the lost end up playing second fiddle. We don't want to be that kind of church. Amen? And then number three, the third criticism Jesus brings. Then only they lost their vigor and their values, they had lost their vision. Look at the end of verse 18. He talks about putting salve on their eyes so they can see. He criticized them in verse 17 of not only being wretched, pitiful, poor, naked, but also of being blind. Now, Jesus, once again, as He often does in these letters, He's using irony to make His point. Because Laodicea was famous for making this eye salve. So blind people who who could afford it would come to Laodicea to receive this healing balm that they would put on their eyes. But the Laodicean church had foolishly blinded themselves to their real needs. See, they refused to face the reality of their spiritual poverty. They wouldn't look as Jesus was pointing out their faults. They were blind. And not only could they not see themselves as they really were, but they couldn't even see Jesus standing outside the door of their church. They couldn't see the doors of opportunity that they allowed to pass them by. They were so wrapped up in building their own kingdom, they had become lukewarm in their concern for the lost world and didn't even realize it. And that's always what happens when a church turns inward. When its members treat church more as a country club to cater to their needs and their preferences. A church like that, it's like it becomes cancerous. It just begins to devour itself from within. Peter, in his second letter, explains how churches and and even individual Christians, how we can become so blind and so inwardly focused. And I want to read 2 Peter 1, 5-9, but I want to start with verse 9. In verse 9 he says, But whoever does not have them, and we'll talk about what them is in a second, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Well, what is it that they they don't have that makes them nearsighted and blind? Well, let's go back up to verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. When we look inward to our own comfort and care, to our preferences and pleasures, and we take our eyes off Jesus, we're not abiding in Him any longer. And we're not producing the fruit of love, goodness, self-control, perseverance, and godliness. We're not exercising our faith in Jesus because we've got too much faith in ourselves and we aren't loving each other with mutual affection because we're too concerned for ourselves. And the result is a church full of Christians who are nearsighted, blind, ineffective, and unproductive. In other words, a church without vision. So what's the solution? We need to apply the heavenly eye salve that can illuminate our sight and give us a kingdom-oriented vision. And I'm so excited for the vision that God is is revealing to our revitalization team. I can't wait to share it with you on March the 31st. And listen, I'm going to tell you right now, it's nothing new or radical. Rather, it's like getting new glasses that helps you clearly see what's always been there in front of you. God's design for His church, His will for us, His mission as revealed in the Bible. We only need to allow Him to clear up our eyesight so we can focus on what really matters. That's all it is. Now, typically, I've ended these sermons looking at Jesus' command and His commitment, but really here, He combines both of those into a closing plea, a closing statement, three of them, in fact. Let's look at them very quickly. The first is an explanation there in verse 19. He says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Now, even though their love for Jesus had gone cold, it's amazing that Jesus' love for this blind, self-absorbed, lukewarm church stayed strong. Jesus still loved them, and as a proof of His love, He was honest with them about their condition, and He said, I'm going to discipline you out of love. And now, when you get home, I want you to read there in your notes, you'll see Hebrews 12, 5-11. I want you to read that passage of Scripture. We read it a few weeks ago, where Jesus, it talks about how the, that God disciplines His children because He loves us. Moms and dads, when you discipline your children, your goal, my goal, should be far more than just behavior modification, Right? It should be nothing short of heart transformation. And that's God's goal for us. When He disciplines His children, it's to make us learn how to think, act, and be more like His Son. That's the reason that He disciplines us. Because that is God's loving goal for us. We should heed what Jesus gives us next. He gives us then an exhortation. He says, so be earnest and repent. We should repent. We should turn away from any pride in our hearts and humble ourselves before the Lord. Like Paul encouraged the young preacher Timothy, we should fan into flame the gift of God within us. In other words, we need to stir up our inner fire and cultivate hearts that burn for the things for which God's heart burns. The greatest way that we can have victory over lukewarm living is to have hearts that beat with the rhythm of humility and dependence on Jesus Christ. Again, I hope you'll take this prayer guide home and use it in the coming weeks to examine your own heart and to repent of the things you need to repent of as God prepares us as a church to lead us into His glorious future. And finally, Jesus gives an invitation there in verses 20 through 22. Let me just read verse 20. He says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It's obvious that the believers in Laodicea had left Jesus out in the cold. 
They had effectively locked Christ out of His own church. Jesus is on the outside knocking. Now notice He's knocking. He's not kicking down the door, is He? He's patiently, lovingly knocking on that door. He's offering them an opportunity. It's an invitation to repent, to open their doors, to let Him back into their church and into their lives as their Lord. But don't let this little detail escape your notice. Notice that Jesus says that He's standing at the door knocking. He says, if anyone hears my voice. See, Jesus is speaking to the individual members of the church of Laodicea. The whole church doesn't have to get on board. All it takes is even just one person who can catch the vision. Just one person who will heed His voice and open that door. It's amazing what God can do in a church. He can truly spark revival in just one person. May that person be me. And I hope that is your prayer. May that person be me, Jesus. I'll open the door for you. Begin a great work in this church and let it begin in me. Today, Jesus is knocking on the door of our church. He's inviting us to open our hearts wide to His rule and His reign. And like Laodicea, we're a church that has experienced great ministry success. We're a church that is blessed with beautiful buildings and a healthy budget. But we must not mistake these for our great need to abide in Christ and to draw our strength and our wisdom from Him. Because listen, y'all, we can have successful programs and not bear any spiritual fruit or make any disciples for the kingdom. And that's the goal. The question before us in the coming weeks is simple. Will we let Jesus show us our spiritual conditions? And will we humbly open the door so we can have a more intimate fellowship with Him? So we can sit down and dine with Jesus. And notice in verse 21 that when we invite Jesus in, the supper room becomes a throne room. Because it is through our relationship with Jesus that we find victory and we become people who overcome. Y'all, none of us are perfect in our walk with God. In one way or another, all of us are lukewarm. And we need to repent and open wide the door for Jesus to lead our lives, our families, and yes, our church. Though our sin runs deep, praise God, His grace runs deeper still. Amen. Jesus isn't interested in our good intentions or our sugar-coated good works. He wants to fully transform our hearts so that we are more like Him. First Baptist Church, let's not settle for a lukewarm faith. Let's pray for God to reignite our vigor, to reinforce His values in us, and to restore for us His vision for what He wants our church to be and do. Would you pray with me? Father, we love You and thank You for the truth of Your Word. Sometimes it's harsh. Sometimes we don't like what we see when we look in that mirror. Sometimes it hurts our toes and our feet because we know that it's true. God, thank You for speaking to us. Thank You for the conviction I know You're bringing to hearts. And I pray, Father, You would reignite our vigor. A lot of fire within us. A fire that burns for Your passion and glory. A fire that burns for the lost around us. I pray, God, that You would reinforce Your values in us. And I pray You would refocus our eyes, restore our sight, and give us a vision of Your future for us, Father. 
There are people here this morning that need to put their faith and trust in Jesus. They've never repented. They've never turned from their sins. They've never let Jesus into their heart. And I pray that this morning would be the, would be the time, as Brother Ronnie shared, that somebody would commit their life to Jesus Christ and let Him radically change them. Father, there may be people here today that You are calling to unite with our church to stand with us on this mission, to help us to, to, to forge ahead into this glorious future that You're preparing for us. I pray You would lead them to respond this morning. And for all of us, God, lead us to repent of our lukewarm faith, our self-dependence, and help us to throw ourselves down at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Would you